The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. on the Central Coast. Jim Richards filling in for Craig Hill. Craig will be back with us tomorrow. Uh, Also tomorrow we have our Pet of the Week. We're going to enjoy the uh, Tart Cherry Pie from Linz. Eric Gorham will be here. We'll have our Friday night open line get you ready for the weekend. Still to come on this broadcast, Dr. David Canvasser, cardiac surgeon extraordinaire, visits during the 5 o'clock hour. It's been four years since my heart surgery. But we also want to talk about this rumor flooding the Internet. It's really just, it's all made up about young athletes who are just supposedly collapsing around the world because they were vaccinated for COVID. It's uh, chilling and disturbing, but the problem is it's not true. We'll hear from Dr. Canvasser, uh, Mark Wilson at 605. It is a Dave Congleton show, always your hometown radio talk show. This hour, always good to be in conversation with Elizabeth Barrett, the reluctant therapist every Tuesday afternoon on KCBX. When she's not doing that, she teaches psychology at Cal Poly. When she doesn't do that, she's a licensed MF. Marriage and family therapist. There you go. Mm -hmm. MFT. Elizabeth, how are you? I'm doing great, Dave. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Don Rugen says to say hello. He's a beloved man. Beloved professor. Yeah, but he's he's 75. And looks 60. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to talk about... Aging and ageism. Mm-hmm. This is triggered by two things. One, Madonna at the Grammy Awards. Um, she was criticized by some for her appearance. Mm-hmm. And she responded that this was ageism. And also, I'm about to say farewell to the 60s and enter the 70s. Mm-hmm. And the closer I get to that, the more uneasy I'm getting. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm not alone, am I? Absolutely not. It's a, it's an epidemic in our culture. An and epidemic. It is an epidemic. Actually, you know, the fastest growing segment of our population are those 85 and older, interestingly. And yet the highest rates of ageism, uh, neglect and abuse tend to happen to those that are elderly, 85 and above. And so as people are living longer, unless you're privileged and have the money to continue living as you did when you were young, the longer you live, the more uh, vulnerable you are to ageism, neglect, abuse, becoming invisible, mental health issues. And we don't have really a great system for housing and caring for those who are elderly. So people are terrified of growing old. Particularly when you contrast it with Asia and Europe, where Mm -hmm. elders are revered Mm -hmm. and beloved, Mm -hmm. respected, cared for. Mm -hmm. Why are we so different? Mm. Well, there's a couple of things. There was a generational switch. And and just an interesting side note, in Italy, only 14% of their elderly population live outside of the home through the rest of their life. Only 14%. And we're upwards of 60, 70%. Easily. Easily. Um, 
So an interesting thing happened with the 60s, 1960s, and the baby boomers, and you were there, so you'll recall, there was a lot of talk about don't trust anyone over 30. Yeah. <laughs> and that everyone over 30 is just going to you know ruin your life, and they're destroying the country, and so every old person should just move away. So the, the, those are the baby boomers, and they went through their 20s and their 30s and their 40s, and they were the revolution socially and... Uh, you know, in work and kind of dominate society. And as they've aged, well, they're the ones that really grasped onto this, I never want to grow old. So they really started the boom of plastic surgery and all of the fountain of youth and trying to find the serums and the lotions so they would prevent looking old or getting old because they'd already declared that there was nothing worse than getting old. That's right. And so as they've aged, now they're in their 80s and they are old and they're still kicking and screaming. They don't want to go into the nursing homes that they put their own parents into, but now they're saying, I don't want to do that, and I'm not old, and I'm not growing old, and they continue to put a lot of money into trying to stay young. So that whole narrative of growing old is bad has kicked us into this very ageist and gerontophobic society. And it's almost biting this generation in the butt in a lot of ways because they kind of started this whole gerontophobia, this fear and dread of growing old and this hatred of old people. They started that phobia and now they are those people and they dread and hate growing old and are feeling a lot of the disconnect from the younger generation who've not been taught to revere or respect or care about the elderly. All right, I'll, I'll share a story. Okay, good. Uh, yesterday I was in the grocery store. I just popped in. I was in for like 10 minutes. Um, didn't have any. There were no incidents. Cashier was very nice. The guy who bagged my groceries was fine. But I walked out of there and I sat in my car and I just, I felt like I was invisible. Hmm. Because not only was I the oldest person in that store at the time, but I was the only older person that I saw. Mm-hmm. And I was just like... I'm feeling invisible. Mm. Nobody yelled at me. Nobody mm. looked at me funny. Everybody just went about their way. But I just, I felt I didn't belong there. Yeah, I was almost as if you had walked into someone else's party and they ex- they allowed you to be there, but they weren't going to engage or, yeah. yeah. I mean, I could have gone down to Santa Maria Dispensers and I don't know if it would have been any different, except there'd be more people my age there. Yeah. It's not like, hey, how are you, Dave? Welcome back. Good to see you. But I just... In, in this store, it's just like, God, I'm the old guy here. And I'm not, I'm still going through that transition. I know I'm going to get there, but it's, I wasn't expecting this. Well, and as you mentioned <laughs> at the beginning, if you were in any other time or any other culture, you would walk in and people would hold the door for you. And they would say, oh, Mr. Congleton, you're here. How can we help you? We'll carry your groceries for you. But we have caused, through our social narrative, this, this experience of old people feeling invisible because literally the younger generations don't see them. So there's aging, but mm-hmm. there's also ageism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like I've dabbled over the years in Hollywood writing. Mm-hmm. I'm at the point now where I'm wondering how much longer do I want to try because I'm in my late 60s. Yeah. In Hollywood, they don't want to deal with you if you're over 40. No. If you're a woman over 40, whether you're a writer or an actress, you have to go to the Hallmark Channel. I mean, I've seen that ageism in many different fields. What's yeah. it like in academe? Do you see it there? I don't think as much, especially if you're a tenured professor, there really isn't an age cutoff for having to retire like there are in other 
professions. But what's interesting is they found that female professors tend to stay with the work much longer than their male counterparts because for female professors who've had this place of respect and they stand in front of a classroom and people are listening to them and what they say is valued and they are seen as experts in their field, when they step out of that place on on the college campus, they become invisible in society in much greater numbers. And I'm I mean, you've expressed feeling that, but statistically, research shows that it's elderly women who become the most invisible, especially when they step out of their careers in that kind of way. And as a result, I looked at one study today, ageism actually has negative physical health effects Mm -hmm. because you sense this, that Mm -hmm. you're being treated differently Mm -hmm. and it leads to depression and Mm -hmm. all, all those sorts of emotional issues. Yeah. So aging is interesting because it's not just, it's not just a number. You don't hit a number and then you're old. You can actually be very aged in your body in your forties or thirties if you have chronic disease. So aging is really physical psychological and a social phenomenon. So the psychological phenomenon is if you feel good about aging or don't feel good about aging, that can cause anxiety and depression and the rates of depression in the elderly are so high. Um, But that psychological expectation of what it is to grow old, the fear of death. But the social phenomenon is the other really interesting part. And that is what you're talking about, how society views you. And if you feel welcomed or that you have a place or if you're relevant or if you feel like this is still a place that you can interact and feel connected. And that social piece of aging is really harming us because elderly don't feel like they have that relevance and that connection. The only people who do is if you still have the dollars and you're aging, then you control, you know, you, you can still control the outcome of your life. And, and the other piece, too, at some point I hope we talk about is, is the growth of all of the senior retirement villages out in Palm Springs. You know, when they sprouted up, that started to cause that real division between those who are aged and those who are raising kids. We'll pick that up as we continue okay. our conversation with Elizabeth Barrett about uh, ageism and aging. A's and A's here. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio. I said, I'm Dave Congleton. That's a joke. Uh, This is Hometown Radio. We'll be back. We're not trying to depress you, but I think this is a a topic worth pursuing. As we're back with Elizabeth Barrett, we're talking about ageism and aging. As I thought that Elizabeth eloquently explained in the first segment, we're not making this up, is that as you get older, societal attitudes towards you change. And many people, including yours truly, find it uh, challenging to be aging. Mm -hmm. I don't know when it set in for me. I was okay with 60, and I was okay with 65. I think for me it says I'm getting closer to 70. Mm. Is that typical? But your parents lived in oh, the yeah. 90s, didn't oh, they? Oh, see, I'm not afraid of dying. Okay. Right? Okay. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to die, and I've had a really good life. Mm-hmm. So I have no complaints about that. It's, um, it's uh, my body has changed mm-hmm. in ways that I won't uh, go into detail on. Mm-hmm. But I'm dealing with all that. I survived open-heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, I just kind of feel invisible at times. 
Is it the relevance piece? Because I think about that up on campus because I'm 61 now. And I, when I started at Cal Poly, I was 48. So I was much closer in age to the students than I was the age of their parents. And now, you know. 50. Well, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm this guy doing a radio show in the, in the age of podcasting. Yeah. And there are 2 million podcasts. Yeah. Right. And what's Dave? Dave's doing the radio show, which becomes a podcast. Uh, but I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I I believe in the show. I believe in radio, but I also feel like uh, man, I'm 69 years old. <laughs> well, I believe that social phenomenon part of aging is really important. That we, ha- as people age, they need to feel like they still have something to contribute and feel like they're vested in society. And one of the if. Not to go too sciencey, but Erickson's developmental stages, the last stage is the, um, well, before the last stage is generativity and stagnation. And the whole idea of his aging process was that not only do the elderly need to do a life review and talk about and, and share their story so they can hear, like you're saying, I've had a good life. You've thought about it and wrote about it. People need to look at this, the span of their life and, and find the value. But then they have to, part of that aging process is to mentor the next generation. And that's the piece that's kind of missing is that the elderly aren't being offered the opportunity to mentor the next generation. It's each generation keeps reinventing the wheel and it wasn't always like that. And, for the boomer generation and those kind of the end of the greatest generation, they separated themselves in many ways from the opportunity to mentor the next generation because they moved out to, is it Sun Rivers or I, I can't remember, all the retirement parks. Yeah. Well, you were saying that before the break that that's been a big factor. Mm-hmm. We have retirement communities now. Yes. See, I wish universities would do more where they set up dormitories where every other floor would be seniors living with students. So it's so great you said that because actually NYU years ago they bought a condo building right near the university and one of our friends grandparents had lived there forever and so they stayed as did many of the original residents and so it became a co-housing of different ages. Another great study has shown that when you when you combine a nursing home with a child care and you have the children and the um, adults together, that it helps the mental health and well-being and energy and cognitive uh, behavior of the elderly because they're interacting with these little kids and they have animals there and it becomes this multi-generational experience. And the children are much better because they learn to interact with and have patience with and have conversations with their elders. Because if we don't have access to or experience with different populations, we tend to fear them and and avoid them. Or just ignore them. Oh yeah, ignore them. Because is, they're not yeah. relevant to the day-to-day of what's happening in their social world. I love the idea of intermingling the generations. Isn't it great? And it's a win-win across the board as far as research shows for mental health and well-being and development. Well, let's get Dr. Armstrong on the phone. <laughs> I'm I mean, could that work at Cal Poly? I think it'd be fabulous because Cal Poly is completely in its own little bubble. And one of the projects I used to assign to my students every quarter before pandemic was they had to go out and find an elder person in the community to source them in the wild and to strike up a conversation and just talk to them and share experiences and it was probably one of the most popular assignments I did forever. The students hated the idea of it, but once they found themselves approaching senior citizen and, and striking up a conversation and sharing their communication skills, it 
the papers were beautiful. And I have students that still write to me today that are still in contact with these people. And what I hear heard over and over was, I never noticed that there were so many old people in San Luis because they didn't yeah. have to. It's been uh, almost 20 years since I turned 50, which made me eligible for AARP. I still haven't joined. I still won't acknowledge it. Why? I bristle at the term elderly. Mm-hmm. Don't call me elderly. Okay. You can call me older. You can call me a senior. Don't call me elderly. I love the term wise elder. I relish moving into my later years because as... Well, wait till you're my age. Fine. But I'm enjoying this because there is a whole other segment of this... Of our population that is, is, is thriving in old age, and I hope we can talk about that. Let's catch Nancy and Pismo before the news break. Hey, Nancy. Hi. Hi. Hey, I just wanted to comment on, I seem to be one of the seniors that is thriving in older age. I just turned 75, and I've got long white hair. And I find when I go to stores that young men will open the door for me. And I always, of course, say thank you. And I'm frequently asked if I would like to have my groceries carried to the um, car for me. Um, I don't live in a senior uh, community, but I have a lot of friends that do. And they usually move to them for several reasons. Number one, because the homes are designed for seniors, meaning that they're all on one floor. Um, The front yards are taken care of and you know they just have things in them that are easier for older americans um so um i live a pretty good life and i just wanted to let you know that there are people who are out there that do find that younger people are respectful and um are nice to me well i'm so glad you brought that up because that was gonna be my next point that uh, my experience of these the younger generations that they are wonderful and nice and open and wanting to be a part of the communities and accepting. We just have to teach them and expose them to different generations so that they can feel comfortable engaging. It's not that they are innately anti-old uh, age. They just have never spent time. But they definitely have feelings about older people. Because they've been trained ages. in that narrative. Yeah. All right, Nancy, thanks so much for calling in. We've got California Headline News, ABC Radio News, Jim updates us time to save our traffic and weather together. We'll chat more with Elizabeth Barrett. We'll take more of your phone calls and text messages. Ageism and aging is our topic this hour. Stick around. All right, we are in conversation with Elizabeth Barrett, the reluctant therapist on KCBX, uh, Cal Poly psychology instructor, and uh, licensed MF, MF, MFT. MFT, there you go. We're talking about ageism and aging. Uh, you want to join us, please do. 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Jim is in Los Osos on KVEC. Hi, Jim. Hi, good afternoon. Hi. So I have a million ideas about this topic. I'm 70, going to be 74 years old in May. I uh, taught at Cal Poly starting in 1981. I'm on the FERP program. Uh, I had bypass surgery when I was 46 years old. I have diabetes for 52 years. And I don't feel the way you guys are talking about hmm. the way I'm being treated in the public. And it's really 
Interesting, because my dad was 42 when I was born. My mom was 31. I'm the firstborn in the family. Our grandparents lived with us. You know, I think, I think I just have a different way of looking at life. And I can tell you that, you know, I joke around about men in particular, that they have two midlife crises. They turn 50, and then they've got to have sex with a 20-year-old. They turn 65, they've got to buy a red Mustang or do some kind of triathlon, you know. I think the secret is to age gracefully. I'm old for, I'm old for two. <laughs> Damn, that's why, that's why I'm so depressed. Yes. I didn't get you the 20-year-old them. or the Mustang. You missed them both. Mm. Talk about what Jim's saying. Well, and I agree, Jim, there is, you know, this... There isn't all gloom and doom for people that are aging, although it's the majority are having a hard time. But yes, there are a segment of our population. I said it's psychological, social, and physical. And if you have a good psychological outlet or outlook about aging, that makes all the difference in how this whole process goes. Because we all are going to age. And when you can accept that and feel good about it, and you sound like you were around grandparents when you were young, so this whole idea of getting older and what that looked like wasn't horrible. And let's be honest, for men aging, it's much easier in our society than it is for women for the most part as far as getting you know the silver hair and the lines and looking more stately for women it's a little more difficult but that psychological piece how you feel about who you are in the process is everything everything jim so i'd like to talk about the students the case when i started here i was 31 years old and you know i had to tell the students all the time no i'm not going to go out drinking with you did da 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 and then you get to be middle age, and they no longer look at you in that light. But now, as an old person, the nicest things they say to me are, wow, I wish you were my grandfather. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's just mm. great. Those students are just great. I think Jim is very fortunate. He is. His attitude must be what brings all these positive experiences to him. I like Wonderful. it. Mm-hmm. Jim, thanks for sharing. 805 543 Three zero is the number. Anne is in Creston. Hey, Anne. Well, hello, Dave. Hey, Anne. Uh, hello, uh, Elizabeth. I just this is so funny. Very interesting topic because I have a really good friend back east in Philadelphia who recommended to me a book that she really enjoyed. She suffers from osteoarthritis. And um, the name, well, you probably already know the book, but it talks about aging, and it talks about the, it's a new book and details what, all the what, medical what, What's it called? What's it called, Ann? Life Force. Have you heard about it? No, I do not know. Tony Robbins and no. two doctors that are scientists in the field of regeneration, stem cell therapy, that sort of thing, and age reversal. So those are the experiments that are detailed in the book with both mice and monkeys, and now they're doing human trials. And you, of course, have heard about stem cell therapy. It's been around for 20 years. Anyway, I highly recommend the book. Unfortunately, it is 661 pages, but um, really interesting because he... And and how are you aging? Come come to us. Personally, I'm fine. Yeah. You know that. You saw me recently, and, you know, I'm still hiking all the time, and um, I'm back to hiking, you know, now that I have recovered from my little hiking accident that happened November 19th, but I'm good. I've got tons of energy, and I'm, 
you know, still swimming laps and doing everything that I enjoyed when I was 30 years old. Good Cooking, hanging out with friends. I started that hiking group at my church, and, and it's going full bore, so we're cool. doing fine. Great. And so it's Life Force by Tony Robbins. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Ann. You know Tony Robbins. Yeah, personally. Yeah. He's been around for a long time. Remember those ads of him sitting in his couch looking out the window before he found his his life coaching position? Uh, you'll love this one. On the Stolberg Tatum text line, just want you to know how much I enjoy your show when Elizabeth is on. As you often say, she's money in the bank. Oh, thank go. you. That makes me uh, good. Michael's in San Simeon. Hey, Michael. Yeah, Elizabeth, I'd really like to know your take on my situation. I have a 40-year age gap with my wife, my second wife. How many, year, how many years? I'm sorry. Four, four zero. Okay. Four, oh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it's not a problem for me. It's not a problem for any of my friends, but it's a heck of a big problem for her friends and her female colleagues. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really impacting our relationship. Uh and I personally, I think this this age gap discrimination of sorts is is worsening over the years. It's not getting better like many other prejudices in America. It seems to be improving generally over decades. This seems to be getting worse, and it's it's really a, an impediment in our relationship. In fact, we're even thinking about living overseas because of it. My, my, Michael, really, before before Elizabeth you know, responds, how long have you been together? Seven year, eight, seven or eight years. All right, and and how old are you? I'm, I'm I will be sixty eight. All right, so she's twenty eight. Yeah, I salute you. I salute you. Yeah. Go. <laughs> well, that's that's a common thing that guys say, but the women say, "Are you crazy?" Especially if you're attractive, uh, they think oh, you could have done better. What are you doing with this old geezer? <laughs> that's disheartening to hear. I mean, that it's must be a really challenging. common theme. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm curious about if it's her friends and her colleagues, are they hoping to break you up? I just don't, I don't understand what their, what their hope is at this point, because you're married uh, and you've made a commitment to each other. Yeah, I really don't think that they have an agenda for breaking us up as, as much as, my God, you could have done better uh, as, as a thinking. Uh, and I don't think they look at it too deeply as, as to a, a goal of breaking us up or anything like this. So how is it impacting uh, your relationship with your wife? She, she really doesn't. Uh, she feels uncomfortable being in public with me, actually. Oh, she feels a little self-conscious? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and introducing her to uh, introducing us to her friends. Yes, it, it's become a problem. It, it's such a big problem that we're thinking about living in a different country. And, Scandinavia, and, probably. And, Are and you what, her parents' what would age? Change, what would change, if I may? What, what would change going overseas? Uh, there's a whole different perspective on age gap discrimination in, in different places. Uh, a completely different perspective. So, so this is not considered abnormal. It's considered okay it's considered acceptable here it's 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 not yeah well i mean we do have that gold digger you know mythology in our culture and so i think that that kind of harms it too whenever you see an age gap that that's the only thing people can imagine that it's a financial arrangement that's been made but i mean at the end of the day love is love right we love who we love and you have support and care for each other and my concern is that your wife is feeling self-conscious in, in out in public with you, and I, I think that that's 
more of a her story than her friends and, and her family. Yeah, it's it's a tough hill to climb for some people uh, mm-hmm. when many people that you are acquainted with feel like this. Um, Yes, I agree with you, Elizabeth, that some people can deal with it a lot better than others. Yeah, it is. And And remember also the challenge in that age gap, just as it from a numbers game, it sounds like you married her when she was under 25 and we really don't come into our full adult uh, developmental maturity until we're 25 and older. So they're also, you know, she's, she's developing and changing. And so when she hits 35, she'll be in a whole different kind of mindset of independence and wanting to, you know, be on her own. And so the relationship always is shifting. So, so there'll be all sorts of things that she'll have to navigate together as she grows more into her independent self from more of the, um, dependent, you know, youth child that you married. I don't know, child isn't like the right word, but younger person. And so those things are, I would, I would be much more focused on those things, just the two of you, because you don't want to lose love no matter how old you are. No. Uh, Well, we're working on that. She's got a great job. She makes a lot of money. Um, I don't know what else I can say. No, I think that that's the key, because clearly what you offer to her is this opportunity to be independent and grow into herself and make money and not feel threatened by it. A lot of men are super threatened by their wife making a lot of money. I mean, clearly what you bring to her life suits her and serves her. And I, I wish she could walk with her head held more highly because of that. Well, on the money side, she has the potential of making more money than me, actually. Well, there you go. Uh, uh, My husband's dream. Thank you. (laughs) All right, Michael, thanks for calling in and sharing. All right, let's take a break. I'm Dave Congleton. We'll come back for a final segment with Elizabeth Barrett. We're live. We're local. This is Hometown Radio. Dr. David Canvasser is in studio during the 5 o'clock hour. Man, I'm so glad Michael called in, and I wish him well. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting here trying to figure out what I would say. I'm, I'm 69. What would I say to a 29-year-old? But see, I think now you're doing a little ageism of your own because... No, I'm just saying, myself. I, what would I say to somebody? And, you know, what would we have in common? You might, I don't know, you might find movies that you have in common, books, things that you've read. I, that That is the reverse ageism. Right. Get Kathy on the phone. I'm going to break up with her. Go find me <laughs> Go a 29 buy a car. and a Mustang. Jim, you were you knew your was it your grandmother, or your great grandmother, great grandmother. What's the story? My great grandmother lived with us as kids when I was kids. So, um, she lived to be a hundred and almost 101. There you go. And when she was in her 70s, her daughter wanted to put her into a retirement home. And she came and asked my dad and myself and the rest of the family, do you think I need to go into a retirement home? Because if you do, I think I'll go. But if I'm going to trust you if you don't think that I need to. And what happened? And we said, no, you can stay here. I mean, she had her own little granny unit on the property. We love having you here. And she lived about another 30 years. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, she she lived um, to be 100, almost 101. Actually, yeah, almost 101. Uh, us kids, we would go up there and hang out with her and watch TV. I mean, try to get a, a 15-year-old to watch the Lawrence Welk show. <laughs> yeah. But I watched the Lawrence Welk show with her, and uh, hee-haw, and 
yeah. Wizard of and, and um, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, and we hung out together. And she would check on us kids and stuff. And we learned a lot from her. But on the other hand, we kept her young. Yes, we need did. those. We Absolutely. need those interactions. Don't those multi generational yeah. homes. You know, one of the great things about the recession in two thousand eight and the pandemic is that it brought a lot of families back under the same roof. And there's a lot of benefits to those multi generational experiences. Helping to care with the kids, helping to relieve some of the financial burden. You know, we we are such a individualistic culture here in the United States that it's all about you know being on your own. And it's been a disservice to family structure and to mental health. All right. If uh, you want in on this conversation, Elizabeth, we need to hear from you now, please. 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're talking about aging and ageism Mm -hmm. and how we deal with all that. Another fan letter on the Stahlberg-Tatum text line. This one from Suzanne. Well, well, a super guest. Love her sharing with your listeners. Uh, also on the Stolberg Tatum text line, I'm 67. I pretty much like being by myself. I don't want someone else's used up goods or offsprings. Hmm. I don't know what that means, but uh, yeah, I, I know who that's from. Okay. Uh, also on the Stolberg Tatum text line, we've got Gary. Hey, Gary. Sounds to me. That seniors with kids, even if the kids are pushing 50, are always teaching, mentoring, advising, being called into action, so to speak, and try to default keep the youth necessary to parent that offspring generation, regardless of what age it is. And then seniors without kids are going to have to, like the doctor said, crowdsource someone to mentor. Mm-hmm. Having that intergenerational connection really is good for the soul on both ends, for the younger generation, for the elderly, the older generation. And that that passing down that brain knowledge and that emotional knowledge is huge. Jim's in a Roy Grande on KVEC. Hi, Jim. Hey, Dave. Hey, uh, yeah, the grandparents and great-grandparents are living history. Before my mother died at 93, I didn't know she was going to die. But two months before, I flew her up to Boise, Idaho to see my sister. And my sister had her grandchildren write questions for their great-grandmother, got together in the living room, and she just told them all about the Depression and World War II. She was born in 1920, and it was just a wonderful evening of uh, tapping into the history because the older you get, the the more history you've got. I mean, I'm 74, and I've got my own history, but that was a great experience. I love this, Jim, but how are you dealing with 74? I'm I'm just a kid. I don't feel like 74. I feel like I'm 47. <laughs> that's a, that's a great gift. Again, that psychological aging part. And if you are lucky enough to have the physical uh, health that supports that, because a lot of people don't have the physical mobility as they age, and that can really slow us down uh, emotionally and socially. People can get real isolated. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in good shape, and my own grandkids are in school, and, you know, I could tell them that I was I was in junior high school when Kennedy was shot. I, I've got my own history I can tell them about. All right. Well, one of the things, Jim, that you bring up so important is part of the gerontological work of aging and preparing for death and dying is to do what they call a life review. And, and sitting with someone and hearing their whole story, either recording it or just listening or writing it down, is very helpful to help aging people come to peace with the life that they lived. Because 
there's two benefits. One, someone hears your story and you're able to hear it and go, gosh, my life really was better than I thought. And the other beautiful part is that you feel like someone witnessed me. If I died tomorrow, some other person knew I lived. And that's very good for mental health and well-being and this sense of peace as we get close to the end of our life. Yeah. But the other thing I like about Jim is that Jim is still out there working. Yeah. He's out there. He's active. Yeah. Well, yeah, and as Dave knows, I'm full of stories. I've had a wonderful life, and I'm going to continue it. If mom was 93, i got another 20 years. There you go. That's a lot. And there's, you know, all these opportunities. They, Carl Jung called them the seasons of our lives, and we get to reinvent ourselves through each season. All right, uh, Jim, thank you. Elizabeth Barrett on AM Radio. Quoting Carl Jung. I love it. 805-543-8830. I promised you a chance to talk specifically about women and aging. Yeah. So there's a couple of things important. You know, for many women, they have this feeling of freedom. Once they've raised their kids, everyone's launched, they're getting out into the world, and they stop worrying about, you know, getting on the exercise bike or being a certain size or having to live up to somebody's expectations. There's actually a huge freeing piece post-menopause for a lot of women where they come into this sense of energy and power that they never felt in society before. They feel supported. And I can't remember Nancy called, you know, the long gray hair and they call it moving into your crone years or your wise elder years, that it can be a super powerful time for women. Conversely, For a lot of men in our society, because we put such a high priority on work and productivity and bringing home the bacon, that for many men, when they retire, they fall into a deep funk and depression. As a matter of fact, one of the highest rates of suicide in our society are retired men. And so it's so important for men to have something that they're moving towards after they retire so they still feel relevant and a part of society. And it's a tough time for marriages as we go into our elder years because if one partner starts slowing down and kind of feeling like their their useful years are over and the other partner says, I'm just getting in high gear, that can cause some conflict. So knowing that these things are coming up can help people not feel like they're the you know, the odd one out. Expect it and prepare for it. No, I'm even more depressed. Why? <laughs> You have so much good. You write books. You have a very active social life. You have a partner that you look forward to seeing. I mean, you are kind of the poster person for aging gracefully because you've had health issues that have given you the sense of, of grace. I'm down to one eye. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's just frightening. Don't tell the grandkids. Only, Grandpa has only I, one eye. I don't have any grandkids. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have any grandkids. Oh, gosh. Do I miss out by not having a family? And different, I mean, you don't know what you don't miss, right? You can't miss something that you never had. For those of us who had kids and grandkids can't imagine life without it. For those who don't, they don't know what they missed. And actually, culturally, or research shows that those who are childless by choice have just as satisfying life as those with kids. All right, uh, let's see if we can squeeze in. Do I get the flashing light from Mr. Richards? All right, there we go. Thank you, Jim. We got Jill. Hey, Jill. Hey, Dave. Hi, How are you? Very good, Jill. How are you? Good. I've got about a minute. Okay. What I wanted to bring up is the only bad part for women about menopause, perimenopause, and getting older is now we're caring for our elderly parents that are in poor health. Mm-hmm. So that caregiving thing just continues on. Yeah, it does. 64% of care for the elderly falls on the eldest daughter in families. 
that would be me. Mm-hmm. And that's and if you've raised children and then you step into the caregiving role for parents, and if they're going to live to be a hundred, you know that's that's the majority of your lifetime, and it is an issue. And so it's about spreading the responsibility of care for families out. And one of the reasons having individualistic families is that we don't have this extended supportive care as people age, and it falls on one person. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you have siblings that live out of state. Mm-hmm. They send yeah. dollars, hopefully, but they're not there for a lot of respite care. No, no. Yeah. So well, it's quite the conundrum. No, it is, because this is the time that you were going to shine and spread your wings, right? And, and you're doing more caregiving. We have to leave it at that, Jill. Thanks for checking in. Another nice job by Elizabeth Barrett. How do people get your podcasts? Just search for a conversation with the reluctant therapist, and it'll pop up anywhere you get podcasts or through the KCBX website. I have 670 shows uh, that exist. I do so. that in one year. I, for, I just That makes me feel old, that many shows. I didn't think I had that much to say. Don't be reluctant to come back. I love being here, Dave. Thank, Thank you. you, Elizabeth. Off we go. News, traffic, weather. Here comes Dr. Canvasser. Stick around. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.